Amen. Amen. I want to start with a familiar verse to kind of set the, set the tone for today's message. And it's in Matthew 11. It's a passage um, that maybe some of you know. This is Jesus speaking. And, and Jesus is giving an invitation. And he says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. A couple of observations about this passage. The first is this. The invitation is actually repeated. Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest. You will find rest for your soul. Which, it's not a kind of rest that's, that's physical. Like some of you, you're tired and, 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 and you just need a nap. Some of you are tired because you, just, you worked really hard and you need to just take a moment. Some of you are emotionally exhausted spiritually, maybe numb, anxious, overwhelmed, depressed, just worn out, maybe a little too busy, and your soul is just, it needs Rest. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but just kind of give me like a, like a preacher nod if you're like, my soul feels like, like my soul feels a little burdened today. And just, let's just moment, like, listen, it's just you and the Lord and me, okay? Just let's recognize where you're at. How, how many of you just, your soul could use some rest this morning? Just give me a little bit, a little bit of this. Okay. Some of you are doing really well. I like that. That's good. Some of you, like me, are like, amen to that. That is the invitation that Jesus gives. Rest for your soul. Sarah even mentioned this in her testimony, just how, how Jesus did that for her. Just gave her this rest that, that her soul longed for, her soul needed. So, so he, he, here's what I want us to notice. First, there's an invitation for us to get rest for our souls. So some of you said, I need that today. The rest of you, man, you're off the hook. You can just daydream for the next 35 minutes or so. Jesus then tells us how. This is important. The first thing we need to see is that the rest for our soul is found in who? Jesus. Yeah, guys, the answer is always Jesus. It is found in Jesus. Okay? So, so my wife was really looking forward to, she went away with some friends and spent like three or four days, lost count, uh, away. Uh, my mom has a cabin in Cleelm. It's away. And she went there. And, and that, like, listen, that's restful. It's certainly not restful being a dad at home with five kids. But don't, I'm not going to go there, guys. But that's why this sermon's so real for me. Brother needs rest for his soul, okay? I do. Um, it's so nice to get away. It's so nice 
to just be kidless for a few days. It's so nice to have a day off from work or a three-day weekend. But do you know what happens? You come back to the five kids. Or you go back to work. Or you get back to your daily life, and then, and then what happens? The chaos of your soul, it just it starts right back up. And what Jesus is saying here is, I, listen, I can give you rest for your soul that time in a cabin in the woods, just it, it, it's so much greater than that. I can give you the kind of rest for your soul that you need, and it's not found in a vacation, it's found in Jesus. Now here's what's intriguing. Jesus takes it further than that. He doesn't just say, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. But he calls us to a certain part of him, if you will. Now, now here's the way I've heard this, this text talked about um, in, in different contexts. is Jesus is inviting us to come to him and like sit at his feet and find rest for our souls at his feet. And, and so what, what we think about is like, oh, this is an invitation to come before Jesus, spend some time in prayer, maybe read our Bible, fix our eyes on Jesus, and then get our souls all filled up again. And then I can just go back and, 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 and be a mom, be a dad, go to work, and do all of that stuff of life. And what we need to understand is the invitation Jesus is giving here is not to come and sit at his feet and worship him. It's not to come and read the Bible for 30 minutes or pray for an hour or come to church on Sunday and sing. He's actually inviting us to take his yoke upon him. That's the invitation. Not the feet of Jesus, the yoke of Jesus. Now, when I think yolk, I think an egg yolk, right? Anybody? So let me show you a picture of the yolk Jesus is talking about. This is a yolk, friends. Um, it was used um, for farming, and, and what you would do here is you would put two oxen into this yolk, and you would, uh, it would hook to some farming equipment, and then you'd go out into the field and get busy and, and, and do the work of the harvest. But, but listen, this is really interesting and important. You didn't put just two any old oxen in this yoke. There would be one oxen that was the stronger oxen. It was the lead oxen, and then you'd have... Uh, like a less superior oxen next to it, and then they would go and do the work of the harvest. If you thought, man, I want to get this work done quickly, I'm going to put two strong oxen together, two lead oxen together, what would end up happening is disaster would ensue, is you'd have two lead oxen trying to both lead, and it would not go well. And Jesus is saying... Come, come join me. Take my yoke that's already hooked up to me and put it upon yourself. Now, the oxen, when the yoke was on them, they didn't just sit there. They would go and do the work of the harvest. And what Jesus is inviting us to is not to find rest for our souls by sitting at his feet, Contrary to that, he's inviting us to find rest for our souls 
by living the way that he lives. By walking with him. By doing life with him. This is, this is an invitation for rest for our souls, but it only can be found when we take on the way of Jesus, the lifestyle of Jesus. And, and I start there because when we come to this passage that Jake read for us in John chapter 7, is, is really what I see is a picture of the way of Jesus. You read this, and, and there's four things that I see here that point to the distinct way of Jesus. So if you want rest for your souls as you go throughout your week, I want us to see the way that Jesus lives. And that, that, we, would, that we would live like he lives. Because when we do, there is, there is rest there for our souls. So... There are four sections to this passage um, that really describe the way of Jesus, or maybe you call it the yoke of Jesus. And the four parts are the audience of Jesus. We need to have the same audience. The timing of Jesus. We need to have the same timing as Jesus. The glory of Jesus and the congruence of Jesus. You guys ready to get some rest for your souls? You ready to see how Jesus lived and maybe we should do the same thing? Okay, yes. Three, again, golly, guys, get fired up. You ready to live like this? Amen. All right. Let's begin. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews, specifically it was the Jewish authorities, they were seeking to kill him. Why were they seeking to kill him? Because Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath. Apparently an offense that was worth killing for. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, so Jesus' brothers come to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. So a couple things to point out here. When, when Jesus' brothers talk about your disciples, they're not referring to the 12 disciples. They're referring to the massive amount of people who were following Jesus and maybe calling themselves disciples of Jesus. And Jesus' brothers, they've got this idea. They say, hey, Jesus, man, you really want to be famous. You really want to make an impact in this world. You know what you need to do? You need to get out of Galilee. Like, we live in Podunk Town here, okay? You need to go to Jerusalem, downtown, where all the people are, and you need to do works. That is, miracles. Jesus, that's how you're going to get famous. That's how you're going to get all of your followers to continue to follow you. And they say, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. So the first obvious thing I just want us to see here is that his brothers, they don't believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. Which might be surprising, but at the same time, you probably don't believe your brother is God in the flesh, right? 
I've got an older brother. I love him. He's not God. Okay? His own brothers don't believe that he is God. That he is the Son of God. But they will. They will. In fact, James, James is going to write the book of James. James is going to be one of the pillars of the early church. His brothers are going to go from unbelief in Jesus to belief in Jesus. And the reason why I just, I just point that out, put some light on that, is you might have family that don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him for a long season. So don't give up on your family. I love, I love Sarah's testimony here. Like, she has family that don't know Jesus. But keep sharing the gospel with them. Keep, keep praying for them. And, and if I can just say one thing about your role in their life, here's what I've found. Most people don't believe in Jesus because they don't have an accurate understanding of who Jesus is and what he's offering. Chances are one of the greatest barriers between your family coming to know Jesus and not coming to know Jesus, that biggest barrier might be that what they know about Jesus is simply based upon their imaginations. Or the fact that they had a sister that died. And so that, their whole belief of Jesus is built around that. So my encouragement to you is pray for your family that don't know Jesus. And then talk to them. And maybe start by saying, who, who, do you, who is Jesus to you? Let them try and answer that question. And then when... You see gaps, you can insert what Jesus has done for you and say, actually, did you know, did you know that God loves you? Did you know that, that Jesus came to save you from all of your sin? And that Jesus has come to give you eternal life and that you can have that in Jesus. And it's only through Jesus. So, so, so go and do that. But here's what I love about this passage is, is here's the thing about the yoke of Jesus that he's calling us to put on. Jesus is very specific about who his audience is. And notice, his brothers are going, Jesus, if you want to be famous, you need to go to Jerusalem. And what we're going to read is Jesus is going, well, I didn't, I didn't come to be famous. I'm not going to go do what you want me to do here because my goal, my purpose, my aim, my audience is actually not all of them. My audience is the Heavenly Father. I, I have to imagine so much of the, the burden that we carry has to do with the fact that we are living for an audience that is different than the Heavenly Father. We are living for the audience of our boss. That's exhausting. 
we are living for the audience of um, our Instagram, Facebook followers. We are living for the audience. I mean, just, just name it. Let me ask you this. Are you living for an audience of one? Are you living to be known by the Heavenly Father and to know the Heavenly Father? Or are you more focused on being known by others? This is interesting. Um, uh, a, a secular news article came out. Uh, Vox is, is the news group, whatever you call the people. Uh, they came out with an article um, at, at the end of 2019. It was, it was called The 23 Most Defining Moments of the Decade. Number two, number two on the list. Here it is, secular article. Here was the title of the number two most defining thing uh, of, of the past decade. Instagram is killing our sense of reality. Listen to this quote. Now, with more than a billion users worldwide. Guys, there's like, that's crazy. That's over a billion people use Instagram. This, listen, there's nothing wrong with that, but listen to this. Instagram is facing an existential, existential, existent, you know the word, question. You know what? You get up here in front of everybody. The microphone on. An existential question. Wow. I feel like you're mocking me now. Instagram is facing an existential question. How should we view an app whose perfectly curated aesthetic, because nobody shows all the stuff of their life, okay? They just show the good stuff, and then we make sure to do a really sweet filter, right? Makes its users actually feel depressed and anxious. And the article went on to just go, this is what social media has done for us. It has provided a platform and instant feedback loops where people can comment or like or heart. It's created a platform for us to so easily live for the audience of our followers. But do you actually live for the audience of your heavenly father. When you go to work, do you go, I'm doing this for the heavenly father? In, in, in your parenting, do you go, I'm, I'm doing this for the heavenly father? When, when you're doing school and you've got to write a paper, you've got to read a book, and, and are you doing it to get a good grade or are you doing this for the heavenly father? Jesus understood this. And listen, if, if you are living for an audience other than the Heavenly Father, that's exhausting. And it will be burdensome. And so Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Live for an audience in which it's your Heavenly Father who wants to know you and be known by you. I love this next part. So, call this the timing of Jesus. This is so incredible. Jesus said to them, my time, my time 
It is not yet come. But your time, it's always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. Brothers, you go. I am not going up to the feast for, he says it again, my time has not yet fully come. Here's the thing about Jesus that is so difficult for us to get. Jesus has a long-term vision for his life. And he is completely unhurried about getting there. In fact, it seems as if being unhurried is the only way he's going to successfully get there. One of the themes in all four Gospels, especially John's Gospel, is the hour that Jesus has come for. He'll say it over and over again. My hour's not come. My hour's not come. My hour's not come. In this context here, he says, my time's not come. My time's not come. My time has not yet fully come. And what he is speaking about is the reason why he has come. He has come for a very singular purpose. He has come to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is that he would go and die on the cross for your sins and my sins, for our eternity. Jesus has a long-term vision. for he, He's got that finish line in mind. And everything that he does is in light of that finish line. But notice Jesus, how he compares his timing with his brother's timing, or rather, his timing with our timing. He has a long-term vision for his life. You and I, we have a thing called short-term ambition for our life. Like, do we not? How many of you have actually sat down and thought... What you want to actually be 30 years from now. You've probably thought about the job you want to have this year. You've probably thought about the way you want to parent, how well you want to do in school. You know, the next rung on on the ladder you want to climb at work this next year or next two years. But when's the last time you actually got a long-term vision for your life? And thought about who God wants you to be 30 years from now. Instead, we live for this short-term ambition, which ironically often takes us away from what that long-term vision actually would be. Because that's what Jesus' brothers are doing. Go, go, to, go to Jerusalem, get famous, do a bunch of works and miracles, and that would be a tremendous short gain for Jesus. But that's not why he came. I can't help but share this. This, this, this was life-altering when I heard this. I was listening to a conversation taking place between a man who is 49 years old, his name's Carrie, and then uh, an older gentleman. I think he was in his 60s. And so this story, I'm to be honest with you, it's for us people who are in our 20s or 30s or so. Um, but, but I think we can all relate to this. But the 49-year-old was, was talking with this 60-year-old and just saying, 
I'm, I'm turning 50. And he was quite excited about this for good reasons, because your 50s are pretty interesting when you think about it. All of your kids will either move out in your 50s or, or have already moved out. You, you become an empty nester. Um, you're probably at a much better place financially than you've ever been before. Maybe you've finally paid off that mortgage. You are probably in your prime when it comes to um, work and career because you have all this experience, all this wisdom, all this understanding, and you have the capacity to now do it. Like, your 50s is a pretty incredible season of life. And oh, by the way, it's very clear that you've passed the halfway mark of your life. And so there's this, there's this whole new perspective that you have where you can now look, you, you can look down at the mountain you've just climbed and you've got a good look at the mountain below going, wow, I'm, 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 I've got 20, maybe 30 good years, 35 good years left. Seriously, like your 50s are a pretty significant time. And so this 49-year-old was asking this guy in his 60s, I don't want to waste my 50s. How do I do my 50s well? How do I be fruitful? How do I enjoy? How do I have a great marriage, great relationship with my kids? And just on and on about not wasting his 50s. And the guy in his 60s says, Carrie, um, I hate to break it to you. It's actually too late for you to be thinking about doing your 50s well. How much you enjoy your 50s is actually dictated on what you do in your 30s. You cut corners in your marriage in your 30s to get ahead at work, it'll show up in your marriage in your 50s that probably will be dismantled by then. I... I, you meet people who get divorced in their 50s. And you could say, well, it's because of this or that. It's probably because of some big decisions that were made in their 30s. You think about your relationship with your kids when they finally moved out. You don't get to decide what that's going to look like when you finally hit 50s and go, great, now I can be buddies with my son and my children. No, 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 no. That was decided in your 30s and how much time you put in and how you interact with them. How about your relationship with the Lord in your 50s? The kind of impact, the kind of things God has used you for. A lot of that is decided by your faithfulness in your 30s. Here's my point. Get a long-term vision for your life. Stop thinking just about the impact you want to make this year and next year. That's great. That's grand. But start thinking about the husband, the wife, the kind of marriage you want to have at 53. Think about the kind of relationship you want to have with your kids when they're 20 and 25. Think about the kind of place you want to have in your grandkids' life. Because that will probably also happen in your 50s or 60s. Think about your relationship with the Lord. What you want that to look like. It starts today. And unfortunately, what happens is we get so hurried by the ambition of today 
that it just, not only does it become a burden for us, but it leads us away from who God's calling us to be. That restful place God is calling us towards. And so, man, if there's anything that you can get out of today's sermon, it would be this. Get a journal out and just put at the top of it, who do I want to be? Not what do you want to do, who do you want to be when you're 50? What kind of father do you want to be? Mother? What kind of relationship? What kind of marriage? What kind of relationship with your kids? What kind of, how do you want to be involved in your church? Ask those questions, write it out, and then just backtrack 20 years, 30 years, and slowly build on that. And understand that you can't be hurried on it. Hurry. Hurry is like the killer of your spiritual life. Your worst moments, my worst moments, they're when when we're in a hurry, aren't they? At least mine as a dad. Never knocking it out of the park when I'm hurried with my children. And so Jesus, he's got a long-term vision for his life. He says, listen, my time's not yet come. I, I know where I'm going. I'll get there. Let's keep reading. It says, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up. So apparently his time did come to go to the feast. <laughs> so he goes up to the feast, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? Where's Jesus? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. By the way, both are wrong. He's more than a good man. He's the savior of the world. He's he's God in the flesh. Yet for fear of the Jews, excuse me, fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? They're blown away by Jesus' teaching, his insight, his wisdom. Where did he get this learning? And Jesus says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. In other words, he's saying, you want to know why my teaching is so impressive? Is because it's God's teaching. Okay, end of story. Boom, there it is. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Look at verse 18 here. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him, that is the heavenly father, who sent him, that is Jesus, is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Here's the thing about Jesus. You want to know what it looks like to take his yoke upon you? You live for the same audience Jesus lived for, the Heavenly Father. You you get a long-term vision for your life and what God is calling you to, like Jesus did. But thirdly, you live for God's glory, not your own glory. You live for God's glory. Listen. This is the purpose of your life. 
If anyone asks you, what is the purpose of my life? Here's what you can tell them. To live for the glory of God. That is your purpose. It's not to live for your glory. It's to live for God's glory. Let me state it differently. It's to live to make much of God rather than making much of yourself. Now, let me just raise an objection you might have or your friends will probably have. Well, that seems arrogant of God. He wants me to live for his glory. Well, what about my glory? I want to live for my glory. Why can't I live for my glory? Well, one, you can live for your glory. You can. You can go do that. Do you know what is at the center of your glory? The answer is not Jesus, guys. (laughs) You are. Do you know what is at the center of God's glory? John is going to make this clear in his gospel where he is going to point out that the very heart of God's glory, the place in which God's glory shines brightest is when Jesus is on the cross sacrificially dying for you and for me. The heart of of my glory is me and my pride and my arrogance and a laundry list of flaws. The heart of God's glory is the death of the Son of God for you and I. God's glory is so much bigger than your glory and my glory. If I live for my glory, I set the bar far too low. If I live for God's glory, I've set the bar in a place only God can bring me to. You want to take on this easy, wonderful yoke of Jesus. You want to have rest for your souls. Don't live for your glory. Live for God's glory. Live to make much of his name. And if you're wondering, how in the world do I live for God's glory? Jesus says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So how do you and I live for God's glory? Do good works in such a way that people glorify God. That's hard to do when you think about it. Because if you write a check for $10,000, people are going to be like, you are so amazing. You are so generous. And you're like, trying to give glory to God. You give glory to me. So how do you do good works in such a way that it gives glory to God and not to yourself? Colossians says this. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So so here's how you do it. You write the check for $10,000. Someone figures out and says, you are so generous. You know what you do? You tell them about Jesus and how he's been generous to you by giving 
by giving you salvation. Or you adopt a child and, or become a foster parent and people all of a sudden think that you have a cape and, and, a, and, and a Superman costume underneath this and, and people are like, you're amazing. And then you go, well, I need to tell you about Jesus. And, and on and on we can go. You want to give glory to God. You want to live for the glory of God. Yes, it happens by how you live, but it also happens by how you speak. So here's the last piece. Call this the congruence of Jesus. Has not Moses given you the law? Jesus is speaking to them. Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, that is a miracle, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Okay, what in the world is Jesus saying there? That was confusing. He's calling them out. Here's what had happened. People are ticked off at Jesus and even want to kill him because he healed a man that was on the Sabbath. Jesus points out some incongruence in their own life. He says, you know, you just, you want to kill me because um, I, I healed a man on the Sabbath. May I remind you that according to the law, you are supposed to circumcise a boy on the eighth day. But you've also created a law that says you can't do any work on the Sabbath. So if the eighth day lands on the Sabbath, do you realize you're breaking your own law that you've created? He, he's, he's calling out the incongruencies of their life. You want to take the yoke of Jesus upon you? You want to walk in his way? Ask yourself, is there any incongruencies in my life? Is, is there any things in my life where I say I love God, but I yell at my spouse? Okay, that's incongruent. Is there any incongruences where you say, I want to have, have a flourishing relationship with the Lord, but you spend no time in prayer? And, I mean, you go to church maybe every now and again. When's the last time you took an unhurried look at your life and just said, am I living in line with what I actually say I believe? And if you're not, it will wear you out. I promise you. And so this, this is a picture of taking Jesus' yoke upon us. This is, this is a picture of walking in the way of Jesus. We live for the audience of one. We get a long-term vision for our life that's from the Lord. We live for the glory of God. And then we take a moment and make sure there's no incongruencies in that life we're living. Let's pray. Father,
remind us that when we do live for you, we are living out of the identity you have called us to. To be children of you, God. That is who we are. We are children of you, God. And Lord, I know for me, what I needed to hear out of this message is to take a moment and to really think about who you are calling me to be decades from now. And to understand that to get me there is going to take a few decades. Lord, would you use the remainder of this time to show us who you're calling us to be. Lord, for those of us here who are feeling burdened in our hearts, give us the courage to come to you, Jesus, and to take your wonderful yoke upon us, and then to walk with you all week long. Pray this in your name. Amen.